Now, this message has potential to make no sense or change your life. And so, I don't know, it's going to happen. This also has potential to be like totally normal or be offensive. And so, I don't know. I don't know what's about to happen. So, that's a heck of a setup, uh, which is really, really good. I'm going to start by telling the story. I thought of this this morning because I feel like it illustrates the, the issue that I'm trying to present. This is part four of our series on change. I'm going to add a bonus week next week. I'm going to do one more because I've been enjoying doing this. I've gotten to work through some stuff I've been thinking about for a long time. I hope it's been helpful for you. Today is going to, it's going to end up being really practical. It may not feel like it for a little bit. Um, I am, if I had to title this, I was going to title it the gospel for addicts. Okay. When you hear that word, an addict or addiction, you typically think of what? What comes to mind? Probably like drugs or alcohol or something like that, which is a legitimate addiction. And I'm going to make the case today that we're actually all addicts in this room. And so it may not be that necessarily, but there is something we are all addicted to and it affects us. And I'm going to try to explain it because I think if you can get this, it will deeply affect how you see following Jesus for the rest of your life. But I don't think a lot of people in high school really understand some of the things that I'm going to talk about today. And so I think it's really important. But just going to start by, by saying, good morning, happy Mother's Day. You're an addict, and I'm an addict. And so let's talk about that by talking about a time when I had a skin disease. All right? That's a fun start. And so this is what happened. When, uh, I was, it was a long time ago. Don't freak out. It's all good now, and it wasn't contagious. But when I was fresh out of college, really, not that fresh because it wasn't OU's fault. It was like a couple years later, nothing to do with that. But I, this is a little graphic, maybe personal, I don't know. But I had this, it was seeming, like a seemingly kind of rash type of thing on the face, all right? It was not very attractive and it really hurt, honestly. It was extremely uncomfortable. And I, I, I really never go to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. I haven't gotten a checkup probably in a decade. Like I hate everything about the doctor is not enjoyable to me. So I avoid it at all costs. I'll only go if I absolutely have to go. And so for me, I was like, this is not good. It doesn't look good. It burns. But I made up, you know, six reasons why it was happening. And for me, it was like, it's probably shaving mixed with the allergies, mixed with the weather. Like I had all these external causes. And so I tried all this stuff. And I was like, if I do this, maybe I need to, I like went without shaving for a really long time. And I, I couldn't really grow much. I still really can't. So it just looked ridiculous. And it, nothing helped, nothing changed it. And it, it was just horrible. And so I finally had the courage to call the dermatologist and I went in and side note, this will probably get me in trouble. We have to cut this out, but I just think it's an easy job, honestly, the dermatologist, because you, you pay $40 for what, 10-minute appointment? And they literally just are like, they have a choice of like six prescriptions, you know? They just rotate them. They're just like, we're going to give you these, these two. And it looks like it'll, you know, it keeps working. So that'll be it. It's like, I could do that. Like, I could, could totally do that gig. And so I went in there to the dermatologist. And I, I'm not exaggerating. I talked for a solid 10 minutes like I am right now, actually. And I started telling him everything. I was like, look, I know what it is. It's the shaving. Like it's the shaving cream with the razor and then it's hot outside and I have bad allergies. I like went on this 10 minute thing of all these things I knew it was because I'm, I'm a skin expert, you know, 
And so I was telling this guy who I was kind of doubting his job and just his career and all that stuff. Cause I was like, this is just, he does, he's not gonna have a clue what he's talking about. And he's smiling the whole time. And then all of a sudden at the end, he just goes, yes. Yeah, so what that is, it's called perioral, perioral dermatitis is an extremely rare condition that there, we don't know what the cause is. We have no idea. It's very rare in men, which is weird is what he said. That kind of hurt me a little bit. But, uh, and he said, um, all, the only thing that does it is this antibacterial pill. You take the pill and you'll be better like in three minutes. Like it's amazing. And so I did, like I went and got the pills. I took it and I like immediately started seeing it change. It was like the craziest thing. And it happened again a few years later. It was like this weird season. And so the reason I tell you that is because in the story, what happened with me is I'm untrained at things of dermatology, apparently. And I was convinced this was like an external situation. This is shaving. This is something like that that's causing it. And I just realized I was completely wrong. This was an internal cause that needed an internal solution. And I tell you that because that, that is how sin is, is that sin's the exact same way. It's how the spiritual life is, is that so many things that we think of when it comes to the spiritual life, we're thinking in terms of the external. We are so focused on the external, but we do not realize that there are internal dynamics that are going on in your heart that sin is, is doing to you, that's deeply affecting you. And if you don't learn what it is and you don't learn how to treat it, it's gonna cause a lot of problems, and especially in high school. And I'm gonna explain why high school is such a crucial time to learn this stuff, okay? But this is just like, I got three points, but here's the main one. This is like the thesis statement of sin, okay? The Bible gives you such a richer view of what sin really is. Our culture does not understand this. And so our culture doesn't really get what the problem is. It doesn't really understand what sin is. And therefore the solutions are, are extremely shallow and they're not gonna solve the problem. And so if you really read scripture, you're gonna get an idea that sin is actually much bigger than you think it is. And therefore it's gonna really inform how you see life change, what's actually gonna change your life. And so we see so many things in scripture of what sin is, but one thing you see in scripture that sin is, it's just one thing is sin is replacing God. You are replacing God with something else. So where God should be in your life, you're putting something else there. And the result is addiction of spirit. Over time, the things that we elevate to God's status, we become addicted to. And I'm going to show you what I mean in a second. Because if you want to really grow in Jesus, you want to follow him in a way that's sustainable, you're going to have to understand this. Okay, and again, this is not something that people really understand. So I'm going to show you how practical this is in a little bit. I'm going to explain it, but here's the three things. We're going to be in Jeremiah 2, and this is what we're talking about. We're going to talk about how sin attracts us. There is something going on in your heart that sin attracts to. It like draws it out. It's like a magnet. I'm going to show you what it is. And then number two, I'm going to show you how sin addicts us. How does sin actually create an addiction in your heart? And then number three, I'm going to give us good news and hope on how does God restore us and change us. And that's where we're going to get pretty practical. So this is Jeremiah 2. We can't read everything. And I can't go in depth like I want to. There's going to be some stuff that doesn't make sense. But we just you're just going to have to just go with me here. Um, Jeremiah 2. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah written to a nation that was in spiritual decline. 
That can be high school today. That can be college today where it is easy to decline spiritually. I wonder if you've experienced that this year, whether that has been your year, whether that's been a season where you would say, yeah, honestly, I I don't feel as close to God as I did earlier. And if I were to say why, there's probably a few reasons. One would be the temptations that surround you. There are so much more temptations really as the years go on in high school, right? And there are so many distractions. And so you can have this slow decline spiritually just like they did. So we're not different from them. So Jeremiah could be saying the same thing from us. And if I had to break it down, this is what you're going to see in Jeremiah. But I am going to explain this test in a little bit. Um, One of the biggest issues in Dallas and in Highland Park where we are located is what I would call um, the, we, are, we are Jesus plus something people. Okay, what I mean by that, we've talked about this a lot, but we want to follow Jesus. Like we want our faith, we want Christianity, but we want Jesus plus other things. That's what we want. That's the core issue, I would say, of our culture where we live specifically. So what C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters, I've been digging into this concept lately, so you might hear this in Florida if you go, is one of the things that he says the enemy wants to do is to keep Christians in a state of mind that he calls Christianity and. Christianity and. So you fill in the blank. Christianity and people's approval. Christianity and popularity. Christianity and pleasure, Christianity and success, Christianity and materialism. Like you fill it in, but we live in a city that just is all about that. Yeah, be a Christian, but you also got to fill in the blank with all these other things. And so what wisdom is, is understanding what are you filling that blank in with? Like what's your Jesus plus blank? Okay. Because that's what's happening. Now, this is what Jeremiah dealt with. And so I'm going to read you a few verses and then I'm going to explain a verse that is incredibly offensive. All right, so get ready for that. So the word of the Lord came to me, it's Jeremiah saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. That's the people that are spiritually declining. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. So remember that image. He's like, hey, you used to be devoted. We had this bride husband relationship. It's like a romantic relationship. God and his people, bride and groom how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. That's referring to Exodus and and Numbers, that time period. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They went after worthlessness, and they became worthless. See, that's their idolatry. They chased after things that are worthless. And you, idolatry, one of the rules of idolatry, you become what you idolize, all right? They did not say, where's the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? So they forgot who God is. They forgot what he did for them, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage and abominations. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Baal was a God of that time. And so you see this, this is like relational language, this idolatry. They rejected God. And then this is verse 12 and 13. These are two of the best verses in the Bible on idolatry. Be appalled, O heavens. So it's like, this is shocking. This is appalling. 
that my people have committed two evils. Remember this, all right? This is a good verse. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. So they have rejected me. They have gone from me where living water is found, where satisfaction is found, where happiness and joy are found, where purpose is found. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So picture if this cup had a hole in it. It'd just be leaking, okay? There'd be a decline. And that's what they're saying happened is that you said, God's not going to satisfy me, so I'm going to go to something else that I think will, but it won't. It's a broken cup that is leaking. Now, in verse 20, this is what's offensive. We don't have it up here. There's a line in there that talks about how when you worshiped other gods, um, it it's basically says you bowed down to idols, you worshiped other gods. Whatever translation you have in verse 20, it's not going to say this. What the Hebrew literally says is you spread your legs. That's what it says, all right? That is offensive language. That is sexual imagery in, in Jeremiah 2. I didn't make it up. It's in there, all right? Now, what it's saying is that this, this imagery happens all the time in Scripture, and especially the prophets. And you're like, why is he getting, why is he saying something like that? Like, that's intense. Like, do we need that, that image right there? Um, is he just trying to get our attention? No, this is what's happening. He, this is so important. This is how sin attracts us. This is point number one, is he is teaching us that there is something happening underneath our sin that is going to shed light on so many things that you see in high school today. Okay, here's the point. This is deep, but this is the point, is that spiritual attraction in your heart, spiritual attraction, attraction to idols, attraction to other things, is just as powerful as sexual attraction at the physical level. Let me explain that. A lot of us do dumb and embarrassing things when we are physically attracted to someone. Like it, it overcomes our common sense. Have you ever done that? Where you like say something, you're like, I can't believe I just said that. Okay, that happens. There's a TV show called Drake and Josh, which I do have up there. All right. Do any of y'all know the show or is it too, too old? Mikey, thank you. I know, Ross Scott, yeah, there we go. Yeah, SP, look at this. Oh my gosh, it's the whole staff. You should go watch it later. Um, it is, Drake, it's, it's an incredible show. It's amazing. This was like my middle school, after school routine. You get home from school, you watch Drake and Josh at 4.30. It was the best. And Drake is the one on the right. And you can probably tell this, he was a little smoother with, with the women. Okay, Josh, not so much on the left. And, and so one of the things that would happen regularly, it happened to both of them with Josh, it happened all the time is he would have so many awkward girl moments. In fact, I went on YouTube last night just to kind of watch some of them. And there are so many where he is like attracted to some girl physically and it just makes him an idiot. Like he forgets who he is. He does stupid things. And there was one where he actually is successful with a woman. I watched this last night. And she says to him, she actually says, I love you. Wow, like that's big. She drops the three words on him, okay, in high school, which is big. And says, I love you. And he just freezes. He just stands there and just, you go silent. And he just shuts the door after he says, I'll see you in chemistry tomorrow. That's all he said, okay? And that's what happens. That's what happens with Josh. That's what happens with us is that we do crazy things and we are attracted to someone or something. And so this is what Jeremiah and the Bible is getting to. And you gotta hear this. Is that in your soul, there is a spiritual desire that's more powerful than desires that inform physical attraction. And this is it. This is the desire deep in your heart is that you cannot produce your own meaning in life by yourself. You cannot produce your own worth. You cannot produce your own value. And you cannot produce your own security. 
And so what that means is every single person in this room, in your schools, in the world, has to have affirmation, has to have purpose, has to have security in life, or their life will feel empty. They will not feel worth, and therefore they will not be able to face life, especially when it gets hard. But the problem is they cannot produce this by themselves. And so this in high school, hopefully this is making sense, this is why in high school we see people drinking all the time. This is why we see overstress about school, your resume, about success. This is why we see obsession about social popularity in relationships. This is why we sometimes do destructive things in the moment so that we can get affirmation and approval. What we often do is we give surface level explanation to these things. If I ask people, you know, why are so many people drinking on the weekend? Or why do people care so much about social popularity or whatever? What you'll hear is certain things like, well, you know, people just want to have fun. Surface level. That's what I was doing with the skin thing. Okay. Underneath the surface, actually what the Bible's saying is that every human heart has this desperation for meaning, self-worth, and identity. And you can't find it inside yourself. So you're going to have to look outside of yourself to get it. And if it's not God, whose love, whose affection, whose approval, whose affirmation is the source of your self-worth and identity, then you're going to look for it in something else. If God is not the source of your security, you're going to look for it in something else because you're incomplete without having something give you meaning and value and identity. Okay, I was talking to Odie about this earlier. I was reminded of these recently. I forgot that this candy existed. Do you all know what this is? Everybody loves these. Everyone just thinks these are the best. And they are. They're amazing. They're so fun. You like bite the wax. You drink the juice. But here's what I was reminded of when I saw these a few weeks ago is these are always such a letdown, aren't they? And the reason why is because, just look at it, there's like no juice in there. Like you, you bite it, you drink it, and it's like, a, it's like a one sip drink and it's gone. Like I'm always so let down after I drink these. I get my hopes up, I'm excited, I love them, and I'm like, that was it? Like it was just this small thing. Okay, this is exactly what the Bible says sin is. This is what Jeremiah is saying is that, that it's not just behavior, it's setting your sight on something smaller than Jesus to satisfy you. And it might taste good momentarily, but in the end, it's not satisfying. This is so much bigger than how a lot of Christians in Dallas see things. As people would say, oh, Christianity, it's just a set of beliefs. You just gotta live this way. It's like, no, no, no. What it is telling you is that if you're not in God's arms, you're gonna be in the arms of something else that's attracting this deep thing in your heart. And so the question before we go to the next point is what is that thing for you? Like what's the thing that attracts in your heart that innate desire you have for love, approval, and meaning in life? Like what's your Christianity and? How would you fill in that blank? Because again, if you're not in God's, God's arms, you have to have it somewhere. And so you're putting yourself in the arms of something else. Uh, but not only does sin attract us, that's how it attracts us. It's appealing to this thing in us that wants identity, that wants meaning. It actually addicts us. So it gets us in this addiction cycle. And so you see this in verse 27 to 28. If you keep going here, he's talking about the people, okay, that, that have turned away from God. It says, they say to a tree, you are my father, to a stone. Those are idols. You give me birth. 
for they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, remember that, they say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble for as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. O Judah. And so you see this here. Is they are attributing to their idols things that only God can do. They're saying, you created me. You gave me birth. They're saying, you are where my meaning is found, but they always fail them in a day of trouble. And so let me explain what this has to do with addiction. Um, I looked this up this past week. One of the things that, that we think of when we think of addiction, we think it's like drugs, alcohol, but an addiction can be anything that we depend on for life and meaning and relief and comfort, anything. And so that really hurt my hands. And so what addiction experts would say is that almost every addiction starts without a detailed plan. Like you don't wake up one day and you say, I think I'm going to be an addict. Like no one does that. You, you stumble into it slowly at a time because again, there's this hole in your heart that you don't have filled and you don't know how it's working. You're ignorant of that. And so you seek to fill it with other things. So this wasn't an addiction, although it kind of was. But when I was in high school, particularly, this will just illustrate how you can start doing something and you're like, wait a minute, why did I start doing this? And it was sunflower seeds. All right, I love sunflower seeds. I still do. And in high school, for some reason, I just got really into them and like one day, just like in the grocery store and the gas station was like, I just kind of want to eat these. And I just loved them. And I would always have them. And then one day as a, as, a, as a junior in high school, I have a water bottle that's empty that I'm spitting them. And this is a gross sight. And I'm in class doing it. It just hit me. I was like, this is bad. Like I'm sitting in class in a public setting while the teacher's teaching just going into a bottle. Like, it's, what am I doing? And, but it had just become such a normal thing in my life. And that's really what happens with an addiction is that you just jump in and like one day, it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like a part of my life. And so idols are not necessarily bad things. They're what I say all the time. They're good things that we've turned into God things. They're good things that we have made the gods of our lives. And so you see this, we define them as the thing that gives us meaning in life the things that gives us worth and value. They become the reason we wake up. They become the thing that we think about all the time. And so we have promoted a good thing to a God thing. And an addiction is when we become dependent on that thing. They cannot save us. And so why is this so important? Like I was saying earlier, because high school is already tough as it is, isn't it? Like you've got so much pressure on you. You're dealing with changes all the time. You're busy and then underneath all of that on the outside is this human heart that is looking for affirmation, worth, insecurity. That's a crazy combination. And so for me, when I was a sophomore in high school, I realized that my addiction was the approval of other people. I didn't even realize it. For years, I'd been living that way and I had no idea. It had just become a part of my life. And one day I realized that I was over freaking out when someone that I cared about their approval, I didn't have it. Okay, you don't really know what your addictions are until they're taken away from you. And so that was taken away from me. And I realized what it did to my life that I'd been leaning on the approval of people to fill this thing in my soul. And so even though it might've felt good for a minute when I got it, I had to keep going back to the well because it didn't satisfy me. And when it was threatened, it killed me. And so if you wanna know what you're addicted to, you don't pay attention to how things are going when they're going well. Pay attention to how, they're, what, how you respond when things are not going well. 
You can tell what you're addicted to when it's either threatened or when it's taken away. So just simple example of alcohol. If someone's an alcoholic, there's four people in a room, one of them's an alcoholic. How do you figure out who it is? You take away the alcohol. It's really that simple, okay? That's how an addiction is. When you take it away, you figure out what you're addicted to. And again, this is one of the core issues in Dallas because we are Jesus plus people. And so when that thing in the blank is taken away, we realize that we, what we have built our life on cannot deliver what we thought that it could. That's what they're dealing with. He's saying in the time of trouble, are these things actually going to save you? Like that might've been pleasurable for a while. It might've given you a sense of security. It might've made sense for a season. But when that season comes to an end, and it always does, you will be left with this gaping hole in your soul that only God is big enough to fill. And so a lot of the things that we try to fill that with actually make the hole even bigger. And so I just want you to think about like, what are you addicted to? We're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to success. We're addicted to the things the world offers us. And you, like me, might be addicted to people's approval. We keep going back to the same places. And so this is the, the cycle is that we get attracted to things that are like pulling out this thing in our heart that says, you want meaning, you want significance, you want worth, find it here. And then we get addicted to them, but those things eventually abandon us when we need them the most. And so what do we do about that? How do we escape the addiction? That's the last point. We're gonna end with this point. We're gonna sing one more song that'll really reorient us around this last point. This is how God restores us and changes us. Um, I, I want you to think about this because you're not, you can't change if you can't identify the idols, if you can't identify the addiction. So pay attention to this. Pay attention to what makes you angry. What makes you anxious? What do you feel bored without? What's the thing that you think about all the time? Okay, what do you think you absolutely have to have? What is functioning now as your, more as your real savior than Jesus is? Like, what are you depending on right now? Um, the truth is that if you think of it that way, all of us are in recovery. Like the church is a place for people to recover because we all have an unhealthy relationship to something. There are people that know that they are addicted to things, anything, and need Jesus to help them recover. And there are people that just aren't aware of it. That was me until I kind of hit me sophomore year when it was taken away. So how do we deal with these things once we identify them? Um, three things. We're gonna end with this. This is really quick personalize sin. This is going to get really practical. We won't go back to the verses, but in verse three, one through three, one of the things that you saw is what is he talking about? He uses this metaphor of relationship, of marriage. And so for a lot of us, we think of sin just as breaking some rules, but in scripture, it's actually breaking relationship. It's breaking God's heart, not just breaking the rules. It is breaking a relationship. And so what a lot of us do when we want to change, when we realize the idols, when we realize the addiction, what we want to do is we scold our hearts. Like we make us feel guilty and we're like, oh, you got to change. You got to get better. But what you see is that you'll never change by scolding your heart. You're only going to change when God's grace melts your heart. And that's what you see in these verses is that for God, sin is relational. It's not just some behaviors, mistakes on the outside. No, it's a relational thing. Sin is nothing less than committing spiritual adultery. And we have a God who suffers that rejection and he chooses to love us anyway. 
That's the gospel. That will melt your heart. Okay, you will never change by scolding your heart, by trying to get better and make yourself more disciplined. You'll only change when God's grace melts your heart. There's, some of you have dealt with a bad breakup. Um, there's, there's really nothing in, on earth, and I mean, studies show this, um, like a divorce is one of the most extreme emotional experiences that you can have. And so God is saying that that feeling of betrayal is what he felt when we go to other idols. And he chose to go to the cross anyway. That will melt your heart and that'll change you. So personalize your understanding of sin. Number two, remember grace. We talked about it earlier. Verses five to six talks about they forgot all that God did for them. They forgot that God was for their good. They forgot how God rescued them. And so what we need to do, we have something bigger than they have. We have God in Jesus. And so we have to remember grace. We have to remember everything that he's done for us. We need that to be made real in our hearts. All of our problems, all of our attractions, all of our addictions come because at the end of the day, we don't believe the gospel. We don't believe that in Jesus, God has given us everything. And so we look for comfort, happiness, and worth in everything else. And so we have to remember the gospel, that all the things I'm looking for, that my heart is longing for, are found in Jesus and what he's done. And the last one, now uh, we look in the mirror. In verse 32, we didn't read it, but there's this, there's this line about how the bride never forgets what she's supposed to wear. It's like, what is, what is he saying? We, a few of our, our staff got to go to a wedding yesterday because Kenna, a middle school resident, was married. And imagine if on that day, Kenna like, got up there and was like, I, I, she's like wearing a t-shirt. She's like, man, I totally forgot the dress. Like, I just forgot it. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, the bride doesn't forget the dress on her wedding day because she, she's the bride. Like, she doesn't forget that. And what God's saying is that our sin and idolatry happens when we forget who we already are is that when we realize what Jesus did for us, he clothes us in his righteousness. You are the bride of Christ. Don't forget who you are. Okay, the reason we live the way we do, we go as hard as we do when we look for this stuff and other things is because we're trying to cover up ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves look acceptable and worthy to other people. And what we find is that Jesus did not just come to die to forgive us, he came to present us as spotless and radiant. And so when you realize that, that his perfect record is given to you, and that's how you are seen now before God, that changes it. You realize that I don't have to go look for it in everything else because God's already covered me with it. And so I want you to think about this. The reason that we go to other gods and we're done is we're trying to convince ourselves that we are worthy. We are trying to convince ourselves that we are approved of. We're trying to convince ourselves that we're meaningful. And when you look in the mirror, you see what Jesus has done. You realize how beautiful and loved you are because of what the son has done. You'll be free from those other gods. You don't have to go to them. And so if you want to grow, you want to experience change in freedom and joy and stability, even in the midst of the craziness of high school that we just talked about, you got to know what your addictions are, where you go to other than God, you got to understand that what's underneath it is this craving for self-acceptance and worth and love. And you got to soak up the gospel until it changes you deeply. We're going to have Isaac and Maddie come up here. We're going to sing the last one. I want to end with you thinking about this. There is a, there's a song. We're not going to sing it. We're going to sing Amazing Grace, I think. And that'll reorient you around these things. 
There's a song, it's, it's Come Ye Sinners, and one of the lines of it is it says, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, there are 10,000 charms. Charms are something we look for to cover ourselves with value. If you want to change, go and learn what that means. That's where it's found. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you invite us to come to your arms and that in your arms, there are 10,000 charms. All the value, all the worth, all the love, all the significance that we are looking for in other things is found in you. As we sing this last song, help your grace become real to our hearts that we would look in the mirror. We would see ourselves how you see us and so that we would not go and turn to other things that this world is trying to offer us to find life and value. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.